Welcome to episode 493 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 493 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Bloody good, Bevan. And you? Oh, bloody good. Bloody good too, mate. That's a story. You've been out playing piano. Yeah, my piano lesson. I have my piano lesson every Tuesday at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I've, got a, I've got a very good piano tutor because she's very detailed, John, and detail is not my strength. And uh, she's teaching me a lot about how to be a better musician, and that's what I want. So it's very good. How'd your exam go this morning? Is this what everyone's asking? I bet she hasn't taught you how to, no, I bet she hasn't taught you how to earn a million bucks. I wish. I wish. Mm-hmm. Not many musicians making a million dollars. You know, the no. one one percent in that game as well. Jobo, before we get into that, how'd your exam go? Um would you won't know. Do you know who Bianca Reese is? No. No. So he was a Tour de France winner and goodness there'll be a test for me. What year it would have been uh must have been the early to mid nineties. Your exam's got something to do with Bianni yes, Reese. Yes, Bianna Reese, yes it has. And he then he went on to be a director sportif of um Saxo Bank and uh, before that, whatever it was called, uh can't remember what it was called before Saxo John, Bank. John right. was he on drugs? This is this is what I'm leading to. He was called Mr. Sixty Percent because he uh his hematocrit was apparently 60% plus. It was just on, on another planet. So he was juiced up to the eyeballs. <laughs> he was called Mr. 60% and yesterday Belinda started calling me Mr. 90% because uh pulled out a 90% during my Oh, exam. nice work, mate. Did you find out the exam so, results straight away? We did. But here's another story for you. We'll start with some stories today. Okay, here we go. Here we go. It's I, had the year. Sit, I had to sit the exam late because the original exams were the day before the triathlon festival two days before and I managed to weasel my way into to getting an uh, extension and resitting the, or sitting the exam at a later date and so I'm sitting the exam with people who are resitting it who sort of flunked the first time through but they got the opportunity to resit it Bevan, I'm showing my age but some kids these days some kids some kid turned up and asked a person who was taking the exam oh have you got a pen I can borrow <laughs> It's like, come on. Seriously, you turned off an exam without a pen. Oh, it's gold. Anyway. Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And we've got Robert uh, Boom Boom Beeline. Craig Nicholson, the Raceaholic or The Rock. We've got William Chesich, Treasure Chest Lockwood. Scott the Shark Man Gill. And the bouncer, Scott Stephen. There's some great ones in there. The Shark Man Gill. Nice. The yeah. Treasure Chest Lockwood. <laughs> We're God. so original. There's no denying it. Boom, boom, Beelin. That's a good one. That is. And the bouncer. Don't mess with the bouncer. Anyway, team, we've got uh, what in this week's show. We've got, a, we've got a couple of things happening. We've got a bit of news. Some good news this week, actually, especially for this time of year. And we've got an age gripper of the week. And we've also got an interview with who, John? With Ben Hoffman, who mm. was out there. Racing at the weekend, part of the Bahrain Endurance 13 team, and also a previous second place getter in Kona. Mm, mm. So good times, rock and roll. So, Jombo, let's get into the big news. And I think the obvious big news this week is the million dollar payday. Uh, Daniela Reef took it out. Uh, tell me all about it. 
So it was actually $1 million plus $20,000 winning the race. So this was the Ironman 70.3 Middle, De- Middle East Championships in Bahrain, where they ran 300 metres, biked 56 miles and ran 13.1 miles. As you kind of expected, Daniela Reef uh, won, but she crushed it like she's crushed pretty much everything this year, winning by about nine minutes over some other quality athletes. You had Caroline Stephan in second, Asa Lindstrom in third, Jody Spoil in fourth, and Caroline Livesley in, f- in fifth. So some pretty good girls there. Um, Caroline Stephan was doubling up, so she might have been a little bit tired, but still, that's a, that's a fair old crushing. Pretty impressive, eh? Very impressed. So the big question so is, is a million dollars opened up media? You know, because we always say big paydays, you know what they're going to do? They're going to open up the world to triathlon. I don't think so, but it sounds like they're getting some really good coverage over there. You know, you're going to hear from Ben Hoffman later on and you heard from Brent McMahon um, last week. And it sounds like they are getting some good coverage over here. But in terms of the rest of the world, has this million dollars payday done anything? Mm-hmm. Maybe in the last couple of weeks, we wouldn't have been talking about this race if it didn't have a million dollars in it. It would have just been another 70.3. We may have mentioned it. So, yeah, it's got people talking, but probably not to the, quite the extreme that I thought. Maybe they thought when they initially mentioned this million-dollar prize purse as a, uh, a game-breaker. I don't think it's a game-breaker. Who's getting the credit? Because it started as a challenge race, uh, mm. kind of almost a series. It would seem like it would have a challenge series. It finishes up in Ironman 70.3. Who's getting the love for the Triple Crown? Well, I think it's all bow down to the prince over there. Okay. Just bow down, bow down, bow down yep. to the prince. So all, everybody is very, um, that always uses his highness and, and very, very nice and polite towards him. So, you know, he's fronting up the money, so fair enough. But that's uh, it's his, his little gig. I just think I could have done so much more with it. In what way? In terms of just promoting it. Like in the middle, middle of the year, I, we couldn't ascertain what was going on, if it was actually happening. And it wasn't until almost after the fact of the 70.3 Worlds that we realised that was actually the second leg, but it hadn't been promoted. And it wasn't until the, you know, fairly recently you know, um, that we knew that this race was going to be the, the final series. So I think the concept's fantastic, um, but maybe just implementation in year one. They had quite a few roadblocks they had to get over. You know, Oman got cancelled, and then they started with the big schmozzle when uh, Terenzo actually won the first race, but he actually went off course. So there's been then obviously the third leg was supposed to be the Challenge Bahrain race, and then it got switched to 70.3. And then in this particular race, then you had the swim get cancelled. So they have been, uh, have, it has been a bit of a rocky road to get to this point. So hopefully it got year one under the, under the done and dusted and hopefully it'll continue and hopefully we'll have a boy in and running for it next year as well. John, just one question. What happened in the race with the swim? So the terrible weather. So yeah. they can't can the swim. And uh, I hate, it bugs me when I complain on the show about things because we do, we do whinge a little bit. Well, you do. I want, I want to be positive. So the million bucks is great. But whoever the idiot was over there that came up with this plan that they had for this race in terms of starting the guys just needs a bullet because it's just mental. So what the, the Daniela Reef would just crushed all the girls. So it wasn't, you know, the rest of the group, second and third was quite close. That was pretty straightforward. With the guys, so what they did, firstly, Idiotic had a 900-meter run to their bike. Fair enough. You've got to cancel the swim. Get that. It's not safe enough. You can't have the swim. 
why would you run firstly why would you run 900 meters instead of putting like a five kilometer run to actually break it up so that's my, my first sort of gripe and the second thing what they did was they started the guys in groups at by the sounds of it at 30 second intervals now i'm not sure how big these groups were so they might have let five go and then the next 30 seconds then another five go it might have been more than that whatever but the what got me was i was looking at the picture it was on slowtwitch.com and I saw um, Bart Arnott, who had a fantastic race, and he ended up winning the race. But he's, he's coming through the finish line, and he's got the finish line banner, um, sort of finish tape above his head, celebrating what it was a great win. And then there's a dude lying right next to him who's just carked out on the floor, and I'm thinking, it looks how's like a sprint he? finish, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, how's he? I think maybe well, maybe it was a sprint finish, but then I look at the results, and there's about a, a minute, 10 seconds difference. So I'm thinking well, maybe it's, a, it's an extra shot and they maybe got him to hold the finishing tape up again. But in fact, what happened was Rudy Wilde, who ended up being second place, was first across the line, but he was in a different group to Bart Arnott's. And so Bart Arnott's was actually the winner, but he wasn't first across the line. Oh, that's, a, that's a bit messy, isn't it? It's ju- Who thought of that stupid <laughs> idea? It's just, I can't... So I run my race, a little triathlon festival. It's got 400 people. There's a reasonable chance, you know, the swim could potentially get cancelled. Cancel the swim, you replace it with a run of similar distance. So the swim is 500 metres. So instead of doing that, run two and a half k's around the lake. Same amount of time, you'll get roughly the same sort of separation. Why would you run 900 metres when you've got quite a decent-sized elite men's field? Why wouldn't you just run 5k's? They're not John. These guys have got precious bodies. You know, and, and you've got to protect them. That's what I'm thinking they're thinking. So they've just, that's the thing. It's always, it's always, so many of these things are fantastic. They're putting up a million bucks. They're putting up good prize money for this race, putting up good points, lots of good things going. But they really cock one thing up. So, so then the next question becomes, will we see the triple count again? Well, it looks on the website, it looked like it was going to be rolling over again next year. But um, yeah, I, ho- I certainly hope so. Yeah, well, same, same, because it's a good thing. Did it achieve the objectives this year? Well, we're all talking about it. It's been, as you say, it's been pretty messy, so it'll be really interesting to watch how they sharpen it up next year, how it becomes a really valuable part of the world. And, yeah, and does Danielle end up just taking another million next year? I would have thought, in terms of getting, I guess, exposure in the triathlon world and getting really good quality fields, they'd probably be better off having three races with $350,000 as opposed to run one race where pretty much everybody's wiped out after the second race in terms of the guys anyway because it's probably rare that you're going to get one guy winning it and then winning the 70.3s. Um, I don't know. It's uh, Daniela Reef's so dominant, she crushed it. But the guys, it's you know you get a lot of different winners at 70.3 races. So You'd say Frodo, you know, like if, you, yeah. you know, or like yeah. if Gomez comes over, you know, like, you know, like a, there are a couple guys that potentially, obviously Danielle is of another level and she's a mm. bit more of a guaranteed one, but there are guys who could pull it off. You're right. Mm. So anyway, nice work, Danielle Reef. Million bucks. Okay, next up, John Ball, with the other piece of news we have from this weekend and, and Jeepers Creepers, when we talk about dominating the dojo, this definitely happened in Ironman Western Australia. Um, pretty phenomenal race really, wasn't it? It was. It was terrible weather conditions. Um, good old Arnov Sulikov sent me through an email, and he was really saying that 53 people, uh, roughly, got 
pulled out of the swim because wow. um, they didn't even well 52 he's got written down because they didn't make the cutoff to get to, to halfway around the jetty so I looked at the picture and it didn't look too bad and a couple of other people have emailed me through saying it didn't look too bad but once you were out there it was rough as guts and I know a number of people that raced out there that got really seasick as well and they were vomiting uh, on the bike and on the run mm. um, largely because of the, the roughness of the swim so and then on the bike and run, you know, you picture this, it's in Bustleton near Perth. Every time I've ever seen a picture over there, it's, I've never seen a drop of rain. It does get a bit windy, but I've never seen a drop of rain. But they had, uh, by the sounds of it, really cool conditions, um, quite a bit of rain and quite a bit of wind and a very choppy swim, which makes this performance by... Um, Luke McKenzie even more impressive. He swam 50 minutes, rode a course record of five a uh, 4:08, which broke the record by around 10 minutes. Then ran 2:52:29 for a total time 7:55:58, and crushed it by over 20 minutes from Dennis Chevron, who was uh, and Pierre Bittner and David Dallow. So it's not like they were a bunch of chumps turning up. There was no, some, uh, he, some that, decent guys there. It's a pretty phenomenal performance. John Levinson from Try247 sent me through an email this morning with some really interesting facts, just some kind of facts about it. It's it's a 20-minute min- margin over the 2014 champion. He smashed a previous course record by Jason Shortis. Uh He's the 33rd man now to go sub-8. It's the fastest ever Ironman in Ironman Australian soil. It's a new Ironman record beating Crowey, who did uh, 7.57 in Melbourne. Uh, his bike split was the fourth fastest of all time uh, in 4.08, and Andrew Sucker was his the three fastest before that. And uh, just pretty phenomenal. But the other thing, John said through an email this morning, it was a pretty interesting point. He said, this is the only time that a man, wait a second, this is only the second time in the last 10 years that a pro man has broken the 8-hour mark, but the first pro woman has not finished under the 9-hour mark for an iron distance race. So I think the point, the really interesting point there was often we, well not often, but we sometimes do see really big differences between the first guy and the first girl at some of the sort of second or third tier races where the top girl might not be that good um, and the top guy might be really good. Uh, conversely, if you have a crappy guys field and, and you know, vice versa, if you have a, a really rock star sort of Chrissy Wellington or Marinda Carey turn up and uh, they might be a lot closer. But the fact was at this race, he went 7.55 um, and the first girl, Sarah Pampiono, um, went 9.03, but she was uh, seventh in Kona and you also had Yvonne Van Vlerken who's been a you know, top Kona performer as well. So it's not like the girls were chumps. Uh, they were solid, solid girls and Luke McKenzie was over an hour quicker than them. So uh, yeah, it was a, I think the thing for me, when I looked at the results, I thought, you know, amazing swim, amazing bike. You're often going to get that from Luke McKenzie. But he ran a 252. Um, and he was looking so. to do a 250 at one stage, you know, like yeah. he, was, he was on target. He obviously faded a little bit then, which is fair enough. Um, but man, that, that was a great performance. Mm. So good on him. Bloody impressive impressive racing when you're that far off the front to keep pushing. And now, um now, yeah. like for someone like him, you know, getting a win, you know, pretty much guarantees your Kona. Does it guarantee your Kona a win? No, not at this race. He'll need to do an, he'll need to have some other races. If you've got a win in in, in some other race, uh Torsen can correct us on the stuff, but um no, I don't think he he'll need some other results to to pump that up. Okay, so well because he's kind of peaked at a good time, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, he can yes. kind of maybe peak a little bit earlier in the year again and get his Kona underway. Because, you know, he had the second in Kona a few years ago, and he, he has a threat, you know. And if he can get that run like that in Kona, well, who knows? 
Exactly. You know, um, you know, he's, he's probably always going to get run. There's probably always going to be a runner that might run him down. But, you know, if he could have got away with that group, you know, with uh, Fredino and, and co on this in this year's Kona, then you put on your, your steady Eddie run performance of a 255. And uh, if you're not on the podium, you're in the top five. So, yeah. The other thing for me was uh, Tim Reed was out there racing. He just hasn't been able to crack the Ironman. Um, you know, he's one of the by far one of the best 70.3 athletes out there, um, but yet he's still just struggling to get this Ironman sorted. It's a bit like Terenzo Bozzoni, you know, fantastic 70.3 athlete. He's had some some good Ironman results, podiums and stuff, but has not transferred that domination that he's got at 70.3 over to Ironman. So it'll be interesting to see um, where Tim Reed takes it, whether he's going to stick with it or not. Um, and the other thing that jumped out for me was David Dallow, uh, ran a 2.46, must, he got crushed on the bike, whether he may have had some issues, uh, I'm not quite sure, but he only ran, rode a 4.38, but he came back with a 2.46 to run himself up into fourth place, so it's pretty impressive. It's, um, I just, I'm just thinking, of, like, it's just that one day, you know, as an athlete, you, you dream of the day where it's just perfection, mm. and, uh, like, you know, because for us everyday athletes, you know, A, you don't get to race as much as I am, but, you know, like, the, the perfect race is such a rarity, and to be able to pull that off is a pretty special moment, eh? Mm, exactly. Yeah, so. uh, on the girls' side of things, we had Sarah Pampiono in first place, um, Maureen Hulf in second in 9.06, and Yvonne Van Verken faded. She was leading on the run, uh, only managed a 3.15, uh, leading onto the run, only managed a 3.15 for a 9.12 all up. So no sub nine hours for the girls. Okay, that's pretty much Ironman racing done for the year now, isn't it? It is. I think I, I, uh, we're having Challenge Wanaka will be coming up in January. There's a couple of other smaller races in, um, it comes up in February, a couple of smaller races in January, but we are done and dusted. Done and dusted. Okay, John, let's talk about a sponsor, Extreme Endurance. Yeah, so our discussion of the week coming up later on is going to be uh, the best try gifts that don't cost the earth. I was just thinking, Extreme Endurance... If you've got a partner or a mate or something, you want to get them a little Christmas gift, um, getting them like a recurring delivery from some extreme endurance. They've got some cool T-shirts. They've got some funky bottles. They've got these bottles that open on the top and the bottom. Uh, so get on to extreme endurance. Use the promo code IAMTALK10. Get yourself a little discount. Um, and it's a, it's a season of giving, Bevan. Season of giving. That's what you get Belinda to give you, some extreme endurance. Yeah, I haven't got any sitting in my office. <laughs> she's, she's my extreme endurance girl. She does all my packaging and everything for me. So if you're in New Zealand or Australia, um, just go through coachjohnnewsome.com and you can order your stuff and you'll save a fair amount on shipping. That's the one thing um, coming out of America. If you're in New Zealand or Australia, uh, the shipping is pretty expensive, but I can I sort of factor in all the discounts and stuff and you get a, a good price if you come through me. So. Check it all out. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic puffer. Okay, xendurance.com, guys. Okay, well, last week's discussion of the week, I don't think we got much participation in this one, John, but it was. I thought it was a really good discussion. The discussion was, the current prize purse for all Ironman races in the world is $5.1 million. If you were able to decide how to use this money to get the best outcomes for the pros and to build the profile of the sport, what would you do? Arnold Sulikov, he's got some great ideas here. I would have four different levels of races. Uh, race category one would be Kona, where you'd have 1.5 million with 350,000 for the win and paying 20 deep. Um, and all the pros from 21st to 30th get at least $4,000. Race category two would be your regional championships, four races. 
$500,000 prize with 100k for the win, paying 15 deep with a minimum of 3,000 for 16th through 20th. Race category three, you'd have 10 races, and then you'd have race category four, no WTC prize money, but a mini um, event of minimum of 50,000 must be offered by the host city as a prize purse for the top 10 male and females, no matter if you're pro or age group. It's kind of so avoiding, nice, isn't it? T- nice tiers there. I think the one thing that I probably 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 missed when we announced this, saying five million, that would have been for seventy point threes and Ironmans, not just Ironmans. Oh, good uh, point. So yeah. I think you know it's probably I don't know if he's split down the middle. There's a lot more seventy point threes in Ironman, but I, you know, I'm not quite sure what the split would be. Okay, well, Peter Colson's got uh, really limit the number of professional races to maybe nineteen. Nine male and nine female only, and then Kona. Uh, we would see the professionals racing a heap of events, but not only the jokes where we see three pro female women. Uh, it would stack up the pro fields, and then the money would be good at all events. For example, pro males at Ironman New Zealand win 50k, and we pay well down to 10th. Pro females in Ironman Australia for 50k and pay them down to 10th. So some of the money is spent the same at races, but instead of 25k for each sex, it's better, therefore, getting more professionals actually turning up. Lucy Francis has 40 Ironman races with about 2,000 participants each, paying roughly 450 bucks. It's 36 million. I'll tell you what they can do with their 5.1 million to help the pros. <laughs> double it to at least 10 million and pay something to every pro that races. It's funny when you look at it that way, because actually, when you go, there's, a, there's an income stream of 36. 5 million seems pretty fair, but what it doesn't account for is all the licensing and all the other ways they make money. You know, mm. because actually, 5 million of 36, that's actually, you know, that's actually pretty fair, if you look mm. at it just that way. Glenn newbert has got the sport needs to start offering million dollar prize purse for Kona to get big companies back advertising in it. 4 million put aside for Kona. This way, we have a million dollars for both the female and the male. Then the rest is divided up for all the finishing remaining pros. If you finish, you get a minimum 15k. Well, that's pretty generous. Uh, now, with what's left over, you simply have race day appearance fees for all the other Ironman races to each pro finishing um, them. No actual prize money as the golden ticket is the big race to Kona. But build into this bonus events like race four iron full distance races in a year and get five thousand dollars. We need to improve the pro field. Half of the pros are only half pro and free uh pro for the free entry to races. We need a full ranking system. If you aren't in the top 125 rankings at the end of the year, you lose your pro card and you have to earn it again. If we want the big money to roll in, then we need pros who are actually pros and not good age groupers looking to race for a cheap pro card. I'd agree with a lot of that. The challenge you have with that when you start booting pros out of the uh, pro ranks, which I agree is probably a good thing, then you'll get age groupers complaining, oh, that guy should be racing pro, that guy should be racing pro. James Botel says create a $1 million prize purse or winner takes all to get some headlines to the sport, um, which is missing. Draw in sponsorship and more mainstream media attention. Well, that's where this last weekend is really interesting because I don't know if that million-dollar purse is bought any more attention no. outside of the triathlon world. Now, I know in our world, it's what everyone's talking about. And uh, and I have to admit, I did see a few posts on Facebook about a million dollars, but it was from fans of our show. It wasn't like anybody outside of the sport. So I'm not sure if, yeah, like I'd love it if they paid more million dollar prize purses for the pros, but I'm just not sure if it's actually going to get us more attention. A million bucks is nothing compared to other sports. So, you know, if if, if rugby players were playing for $10,000 a week and you said, uh, 
triathletes going to earn $1 million this weekend and make a difference. If soccer players, you know, they're earning a bloody million dollars a week every week. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's going to make the headlines. Whoa, triathletes might earn a million dollars. So my, my sort of angle on this is how we can try to get the best deal for the pro athletes with that pool of five million that you've already got, how to structure it better so it gets dispersed, um, the athletes can see a pathway, they can plan how they want to try to make money rather than at the moment it's a bit of a guessing game and, you know, some fields are spread very thinly, you know, you might have, as a couple of people have pointed out, three or four girls finishing the race and you might have ten guys like most, a lot of these other comments, my sort of rationale would be let's try to have some really stacked fields, let's pay them really deep, and let's get rid of a lot of the dead wood races. Uh, and they, they have, WTC to their, to their credit, they have started to do that. They have got races now that don't have pro fields. They are putting more money into those championship races. But I still think maybe they could go a little bit further with that. And you know, my sort of thinking was you'd have maybe two Ironmans a year. You know, if, Again, if we had this $5 million price, prize pool, you have two Ironmans that have got a million dollars all up and they pay sort of 30, 30 odd deep and then you'd have another two that have got $400,000 again paying 20 deep and then the rest of the money would be spread amongst uh, you know, maybe 10 other races so there would only be you know, say 12 or 14 Ironman races with prize money and the rest would be, be non-prize money maybe you get points or something at them um, or negligible prize money but really try to get the pros racing head to head more often and having the having the uh, deep prize purses again talked about this before you finish 11th place in Kona that's an incredible performance uh, yet you get paid nothing um, I think Brent McMahon was it Brent McMahon or has it been um, last week may have been saying you know it's, uh, I think Luke McKenzie maybe he finished 16th in Kona or something mm. raced his guts out he didn't have a great race but he had an okay race you get nothing for that. So I really think that, especially at Kona and the championship races, having much deeper fields, uh, deeper payouts, and if that means the first couple are getting less money, then I'm, I'm all for that. I think there's a really uh, there's a few interesting discussions here. I think the profile of money is a really hard thing to do. Um, mm. I don't know if advertising how much people are getting paid unless you could offer something stupid like $100 million, it's mm. never really going to get that much attention um, outside of the world that you're in. So this question in some ways is quite difficult to answer to get it right because like I like the example you've got there and some like Arnold and some of the you know the answers that we've got here have got some really good different ways of thinking about how do we look after the pros with the distribution of money to get better racing, which is ultimately what we want there. But the exposure thing is a different kind of beast and I'm not sure if the prize money you know, based on we know that it's never going to get that much bigger than what we've got. So, ever really going to achieve exposure for the sport? So, so then we look at the first question of, well, how do we get more pros racing more often and better races? And it seems like everyone who's got here has got some really good examples. I like the idea of limiting races, rewarding deeper, and that way then also because the problem is, like if we look at like a Chris McDonald. Chris McDonald's done bloody well as a pro athlete and he's a guy who came from, you know, just being a recreational athlete and he's made a career out of the sport and he's done, you know, he's won races and he's done really well. Now he's, he would have to tough it out pretty hard in his first few years financially just to make that work and it takes a certain type of person to do that whereas if there is a system which paid deep then it gets those guys you know like Arnold's kind of idea that you know even you get 3k even if you're 16th to 20th in these kind of lesser tier races 
well, you can at least make a living. And so we can develop the younger guys, but also keep the field strong so they have a really good race. Like if you look at the ITU guys, they're racing hard all the time. So they're getting, you know, not just getting enough money to live, but they're also getting quality racing. So then the kind of the, the tide lifts for everybody in that case. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, it's, it's how do we distribute that money in a way that gets better racing more often and actually rewards, you know, I suppose the question is how many pros should be making a living off this sport every year. Hmm. Other, other sports, it's pretty cutthroat, you know. It's pretty cutthroat just to get into the programs. I know, we're, we're not golf, but you know, golf and tennis and that, if you're not good enough, you just get cut from the car, from the pro circuit and you're onto, you're onto the, the B division circuit. So, yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of people in that and who've got a pro card that are, A, not professionals in terms of it's not their, their job and, B, their standard is, uh, is really not up to it. Mm, interesting stuff well change is happening and it will be interesting to see how this evolves over the next few years like do you think that we're going to see some of the ideas that you guys have suggested here come through from the WTC um, I think slowly like they, they seem to be just slowly eking up these championship races each year so I think we'll see some slow change um, but I don't see I don't foresee any uh, you know, quantum quantum movements anytime soon well the big change we've seen this year is the, the races without pros like this is the first year we may have tried it the year before last year but this year it seems like wow there's been a lot of races where pros aren't there mm. so yeah interesting times okay well this week's discussion it's coming up to the time where the the big fat red man's come along to visit the house and so we want to know what are the Christmas gifts for triathletes that don't cost the earth so basically what's a gift that you can give to a triathlete that you know isn't your latest bike or isn't the biggest power meter or something like that but it's kind of easy to give away. Now, actually, John, I did the show notes earlier in the day because I knew we were recording late today, and we've already got some answers. So, and Tor- Torsten's already got on there and said you could get the uh, the KPR Observer. Nice oh, point. Oh, nice work. Nice. <laughs> Always an opportunist. So, what are the great Christmas gifts? Someone's going to put a cock ring. Tom Ward, sharpen up. <laughs> sharpen up. <laughs> so, so there we go. Okay, John, I'm gonna, we're not going to put music on. We'll do one, two, three. Age group, group of, the of the week. I woke up the other morning, John, and my inbox was bombarded with emails for a certain person. And I got the first email, and are we going to read them all out? Yeah, we might as well. We'll go one for one. I'll read the first one, you read the second one. First of all, this is from Lauren Ward. I'd like to nominate my husband, Tom Ward, for Age Grouper of the Week. Where do I start? Around eight months ago, he quit his 20-year-long career in the banking industry to take a huge risk of setting up the pursuit of a dream. He loves triathlon. He loves people. He loves to see people achieving their potential, seeing people build their confidence through exercise, and most of all, seeing uh, that he was able to help them. So he went for it. He set up his own business, aiming to help people that have been victims of domestic abuse, rebuild their lives and their confidence through exercise, encouraging them to come and find out how wonderful triathlon is, how great it feels to train with like-minded people. This is an area that is extremely close to Tom's heart. Not only is Tom settling out uh, setting out an incredible venture, he is also an inspirational triathlete himself too. This year, within a week period, he completed Ironman Wales, Lanzarote 70.3 and Kona. Against everyone's advice, of course, just insane, isn't it? I hope you would consider he might even shed a tear. So, so that's, that was from Lauren. Do you think people might uh, start actually Googling Lanzagrotti the off the, the mark you actually say it? And, <laughs> Come on. Uh, I've got to go, Lanzagrotti, I know, but Lanzagrotti, it's, 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 it's history now, John. 
It is, it is. Uh, yes, we, as Bev had said, we had heaps of emails. Next one was in from uh, Andy Maxted, age group of the week. I have to vote for Tom Ward for his own personal Ironman achievements, but more for his enthusiasm for the sport and his effect on others. I was all but ready to quit long distance, but Tom's encouragement and support has given me a new perspective and goals. He dedicated dedicates so much time to helping out triathletes. His only reward, reward is their success. Yet he still finds time to train to the highest level himself, a local hero in the triathlon world he now has sacrificed a very well-paid career with the bank to set up his own business helping victims through sport definitely worth my vote okay and then we've got another email from nancy harding and she's got nomination please i would like to nominate tom ward he has been he has and is working tirelessly to get a team passion fit up and running, excuse the pun, he is a massive supporter to the team and is passionate about it and working to help people like me who have suffered domestic violence, depression and abuse. I can only, I can talk to him day or night and he is always a massive support not only to me but to everyone. I really hope we can make him proud however big or small our team challenge is. Thank you Tom from the bottom of my heart. Travis Richings is saying he's also a really great guy outside of triathlon and I can re- and I really believe he deserves his recognition. Just again saying what an absolute legend he is. Um, clear late. Uh, again, I would like to nominate my coach, teammate and age group athlete Tom Ward. He's an awesome and highly de- uh, dedicated athlete who raced Kona this year. As Bevan said, Lanza Grotti. And, the la- and we had two more nominations. An- um, Andrea Jones also nominated him. Uh, he's a team captain, friend, business partner, uh, an incredible athlete, an all-round generous and caring guy. And finally, we had Neil Bennett. Um, he'd like to nominate Tom for his drive and passion for the sport. as inspirational. He's a true example of what triathlon is all about. We never had that many. <laughs> no. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Pretty uh, special way. Obviously, Tom's just a, an amazing man. You know, like a, there is something about... You know, obviously, he was very successful in his previous career, and it takes guts to give away, you know, the security of something you know really well, and you know, and you've got a family and all the rest of it, to kind of, you know, like I always admire people who chase their dreams, and it, you know, it's easy to kind of sit on the sidelines and say, oh, you know, blah blah blah, but to actually do it and to make an impact on the world and something you believe is really important, it takes a lot of courage, and um, you know, it's just admirable, kind of admirable character traits that uh, obviously Tom has so Tom you sound like you're a bloody rock star mate and look at the impact you're having on the world because all of these people here and I'm sure many others appreciate the time and energy you're putting into triathlon and and making people's lives better. Tom Ward you are our Age group, age group of the week. Scene bloody sensational. Okay John Bo we've got an interview with another rock star here who is it? Uh, ben Hoffman, so second place in Kona the year before last, uh, really burst onto the scene. He's had other Ironman wins as well. He's part of the Bahrain Endurance 13 team, and uh, he was right in the mix over there at the weekend, uh, faded a little bit on the, the second run, um, but finished in 12th place in Bahrain. So a guy we, we doesn't have a very, uh, whilst he's had some really good results, probably haven't, I haven't seen many interviews with him in terms of actually really big profile or anything. So first time we've had him on the show. Okay, here is Ben Hoffman. Okay, we have uh, American superstar athlete. Superstar. <laughs> He's a multiple seventy point three <laughs> winner. He's uh, won plenty of Ironman races, and most notably shot to fame with his second place finish in Kona in twenty fourteen. He's currently over in Bahrain, getting ready for the uh, seventy point three over there with the Bahrain Endurance Thirteen team. And he is Ben Hoffman. So welcome along to the show, Ben. 
Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Hey, um, so we Wikipedia, the the fantastic resource that it is, has probably given us some some dud information on you. But you know, prior to 2013 um, or 2014, really, you know, not a huge amount of people knew heaps about you. You had some great results, but often people are defined by their sort of Kona positions. Um, so tell us a bit about your background, because it sounds like it wasn't necessarily a, the traditional triathlon upbringing where people are swimmer kids or they're biker kids. Um, it wasn't quite the same for you. No, not at all, really. Um, you know, when I was younger, I was primarily playing uh, ball sports. That's soccer, basketball. Played a little bit of golf in high school. I did run, um, let's see, maybe two seasons of track where I was an 800-meter runner in high school, and that was my freshman and sophomore year, so that went away pretty quickly. And then I got into some bike touring with my parents when I was in high school, uh, took my road bike to college, and that's really when I started. I had no swimming background whatsoever. Um, really? Got started with the university club team. Yeah, university club team up there, and you know, I got some great coaching right from the beginning, fortunately, and had a lot of fun with it. Great group of guys, and uh, that was University of Montana in Missoula, and uh, that's that's where I started. And then, uh, yeah, it was 2004. I did my first race. had uh, had a good one. Came second to a then professional athlete, Matt Seeley, who used to race for Team Timex. And yeah, I kind of realized I had a knack for it, and enjoyed you know enjoyed the racing and the camaraderie with the teammates and kept it going didn't want a real job out of college so i kept doing it and uh you know kept improving fortunately so that was uh, kind of my background in the sport in what a got, nutshell what got you into swimming because like, like if you're a ball sports kind of person you obviously kind of like your skills and stuff like that and swimming is not that it's a very skillful sport but at the same time i don't know it's not the kind of sport most people pick up late in life if you know what i mean unless they want to do something like triathlon yeah, and I mean, I can be honest, that's really why I, I got into it. I mean, I could swim to save my life for sure, but I had no, you know, no real background in pool swimming or open water swimming. And I can remember the first days I, I had swim practice with the club team. You know, I went there thinking, oh, this won't be too bad. I'll be able to pick it up like the other things, you know, they're, they're skill-based, like you said. And I remember getting 25 yards across the pool and, and gasping for breath and having no idea how I could ever complete, you know, a thousand yard swim, which was the distance for the, for the first triathlon I did that I was training for. So, um, yeah, it was a big eye opener. And I think, you know, that's my personality. I like a challenge and, um, it was kind of an eye opener where I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is something that's going to be a big challenge. And, and I enjoyed it. Was, was, were you ever tempted to go down sort of the more the ITU path um, in terms of the shorter distance or was it more or less straight into the long stuff? Yeah, for me, it was it was more into the long stuff. And that was based on the fact that I really didn't have a swim background. So I wasn't naive enough to think that uh, I could jump in with those guys. I mean, I was, you know, I did my research and realized how quick they were swimming. And I actually did one race. It was a World University Games um, back in 2006 in Lausanne, Switzerland. We had a race that was the weekend before the, the the world championships for the professionals. And uh, it was against a bunch of, you know, it was worldwide event. And, uh, you know, I raced a bunch of kids and it was an ITU format, draft legal. And I came out of the water, I think maybe a minute and a half or two minutes back. And it was just chasing all day long. I think I finished in the 20s or 30s. And I kind of realized that, you know, my swim was not not there. And, of course, the run as well was, they were, they were pretty quick on the 10K. So, yeah, I shifted my focus to doing non-driving Olympic and half Ironman stuff. Um, did my first Ironman in 2008. So, 
with, with the swimming, uh, like a lot of our listeners Be- are... Bevan's focused on well, the swimming. Well, I'm just mind-blowing. He well, was a crap swimmer. <laughs> well, the thing was... Well, yes, hey, I was, I was a little bit better than crap, but no, but I think the thing is, is a lot of people... Like, you, you've become a good swimmer, you know what I mean? You, like, it's not a weakness. Like, if we look at a lot of people who start swimming late, you know, there's always this big chink in their armour, whereas we look at your times and your swim, you're always kind of with the good guys, maybe not the top, top guys, but you're kind of pretty much there... Why do you think you've been successful in becoming a good swimmer for someone who started late in the game, who literally 25 metres was a struggle? You know, that's a that's a great question. I attribute to, to a number of things. Um, probably getting good coaching from the beginning where I was getting underwater filming, things like that. And, and it's my nature, I think, too, where, you know, I'm very, I think I'm very coachable. Um, you know, I think that, that when I talk to coaches, I'm listening intently, I care about improving, and I'm taking their advice to heart. And fortunately, the ones that were around me from the beginning and continue to be around me are giving good advice. Um, and and then I've worked really hard. You know, I, I can't think of many weeks, you know, in the last yeah several years, except for, you know, the few weeks of off-season where I've done less than, you know, 20 to 25K of swimming. And so I'm very consistent about the training. And I always make it a priority because I know for myself that I have to stay on it to, to remain, you know, near that front pack. And yeah. And then I guess, um, yeah. In addition to that, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just my personality really. You know, I, I don't like not being good at things and, uh, <laughs> nice. I'm very, you know, I'm, I, I like to, uh, I like to make sure that I, I, I pay attention to the details and I work really hard, you know, to get those things right. And, and yeah. And then, just practice, practice, practice. I mean, I think they talk about it, right? It takes 10 years to master something, and I've, I'm approaching that now in swimming, I think. So I just did it at a later time in my life, and um, unfortunately I'm getting to that point where it's a little bit more consistent front pack swimming. But it's been a big project for sure. So I think the theme well is there, Bevan, you didn't care enough. Yeah, I definitely did do 10,000 10, 10, hours. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't listen, and you didn't care enough. So. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, no, sir. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel bad there. <laughs> so in, in terms of, you know, Kona is sort of the, the benchmark, um, rightly or wrongly. Tell us a bit about your, your Kona progression prior to 2014 because you had some really good Ironman results, you know, Ironman wins. Was your season sort of solely focused around Kona, and, and what was your progression like over in Kona? Yeah, so like, like I said, my first Ironman race was 2008, um, and that was Arizona. And I think, you know, I, at the time, I, I think I went maybe eight nineteen or something like that. And uh, you know, I had a great race for my first one. I thought at the time there was 85 guys on the pro, you know, start list are in the race, and I finished. I think. I want to say seventh or eighth and i got my kona spot that was back when it was a slot based thing and there was enough guys on the start line that you know we had like eight or nine slots or ten slots or something because there were 85 professionals but got my slot i didn't do another ironman until the kona of the next year so almost a year between those two and i went out to kona thinking all right well you know the first one went pretty well i've got an idea of what i'm doing and and it was an eye-opener i mean i totally blew up on the run and you know, overheated, and I'd been out there training for a while beforehand, so I thought I was, a, you know, well-adapted, and it would go decently well, but it's just such a different race, um, and, you know, I, and I kept kept going back, and a little bit of banging my head against the wall, I would see certain areas of improvement each year, um, but ultimately never got a great race out of it, so I took a step back in 2012, and I said, look, I need to get better at iron racing, you know, I need to get better at covering the distance really well across all three disciplines and that means swimming front pack because that's obviously very critical in Kona if you want to contend for the win 
um, biking very solidly, you know, and staying near that front in whatever race I did, and then running really well, which prior to, you know, taking that step back in 2012, I'd really not run better than maybe three hours or 301 or something. So I took that step back, decided not to do Kona Pursuit in 2012, raced a couple of Ironmans, won them both, um, you know, and had, had some good feedback and, and felt like I improved at racing. And then went back in 2013 um, to, to Hawaii and, uh, you know, I had a pretty good race, actually, I thought. I mean, it was 15th place and you know, 15th doesn't get a lot of recognition out there, but for the guys that, that race it at the pro pro level, they, you know, I think they understand. Um, I even said to Luke McKenzie, you know, after he finished 15th after his second place, you know, the following year he came 15th after going second. And I was like, and I was telling him, I'm like, man, I know how hard it is to get 15th. I know how hard you work to get 15th. And he was like, absolutely. He's like, I feel like I almost went as hard 15th as I did to get second the year before. So anyway, it was a good race. Um, and it gave me some confidence, you know. And, uh, and then came back in 2014, and obviously a huge step forward getting second place. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely think that I improved as an athlete in that year, but more so I got my timing with the training right, and I went into the race just in the, in the right mindset. Um, I had my life in order, you know, outside of racing and training. Um, I got the training and the timing of the taper really right. And, and things were just in place and executed really well in the day. And it's, it's complicated out there. It's a really, you know, it's a complicated puzzle to get it all right. So did you, did you feel great all day? You know, obviously um, sometimes we can have good results, you know, second, but there's obviously, um, you know, you may have had a, a good, good parts and bad parts, but was, was, was that pretty much a perfect day for you or was there more in the tank? You know, looking back at it, I, I felt like I got probably the best out of myself on that day. I mean, you like, I, I think, you know, as long as you don't die out there, maybe there's a little bit left, right? But, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think I raced it pretty well. And I think that, you know, I had those moments where, sure, I felt great. You know, I mean, I remember coming in in the last miles of the bike ride and thinking, I am ready to run a marathon. You know, I feel like my body can handle a hot, you know, difficult marathon right now. Um, but I do remember also in the closing miles, um, like you always do in an Ironman, feeling quite terrible and having my hamstrings cramping and wondering if I was going to finish. And uh, so, you know, I went to that place too. And, and that's why I think I probably got the best out of myself on that day because, you know, the body was shutting down as I got closer and closer to the finish line. And, you know, I, I was able to stand up at the finish line. So maybe there's a little bit left, but I think that was the best for the day for sure. So was it uh, stressful on the run in kind of that year in 2014, knowing how close it was? So you had Keenlay up the road um, looking pretty strong, but from second through yep. to, I think, about eighth, there was only like five minutes um, at the finish line. <clears throat> I can't remember what it was like coming out of the energy lab, but was that a, um, a tricky time, you know, running that, that final 10K back to town, knowing that, you know, one small falter and you could, you know, lose a few places. I know Freddie Van Laird, I think it was, he was, I think he was second or third at some stage in the energy lab and he finished up ninth. So was it a, was it a tough final 10Ks? Absolutely. Yeah. As I was saying, I mean, that's when my body, you know, was starting to really, really feel the day, the effects of the day and, and we have some muscle cramping and, and it's a true test. And that's why Ironman's so cool because, you know, even when the body maybe is shutting down a bit, um, you can override some of that with your mind. And I think I did a good job of that. Um, you know, I think I knew pretty clearly there were a lot of people giving me splits. There was a point when, um, you know, when, sorry about that, when, um, 
Jan, Jan Ferdano closed within about 10 seconds, I think, of me. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, and I was just expecting in a way that he would, you know, run up to my, uh, to my shoulder. And, you know, at the same time as I entered aid stations, you know, I was realizing, like, I just need to do what I've done to get to this point. And, um, you know, I, I don't need to change everything right now and panic and do something differently. So I was doing my best job to just kind of make sure I took on the ice that I needed to stay cool, take in the nutrition. And then I did one final little push up the, the top of the hill there to Polani, and uh, that was enough to kind of, I think, open the gap again. And I think that's when maybe Jan, I know I can't speak for him, but I'm assuming that's kind of when Jan maybe realized his charge was over. Um, but I remember, you know, one, one thing, my coach was actually riding a bike out there, and, you know, he got to a point ahead, and he said, look, man, everyone's telling you what to do right now, but you know what to do, you know? And and I thought that was, that was pretty cool because it actually, you know, kind of brought me back and I was like, you know what, that's right. I don't need to be worried about, you know, surging or what everyone else is telling me to do. I just need to do what my, what I know I need to do and what I've trained to do. And in the end, I think, you know, it, it really played out well. What's it like to have that, you know, like to have your amazing day on the, biggest platform in the sport you know we all you know athletes you know we have these experiences of great days bad days average days you know those magical days come along every so often what's it like to have that hit that on the big day in the sport as well oh it's incredibly special you know i uh it, it took me months and months to digest it really and you know it's still really awesome to think back on it now um but it's what you train for. I mean, every day you're out there and you're envisioning, you know, Hawaii. And as you said, for better or worse, that's the crown jewel. And that's the, that's where the sport, you know, that's where the that's where everyone looks and that's what matters. So, yeah, you know, every day I'm out there training, I'm thinking about how I can Im- improve with that, that in mind and how I can win it. Um, so to get close like that and to have a really special day, even though it wasn't a win, um, yeah, it's incredible. It's, you know, it's definitely the highlight of my career. And, uh, you know, it's changed my life, you know, mostly for the good. And so, um, yeah, it's a really, really incredible feeling. That was going to be my next sort of question. What has it changed? Because we um, often when we talk to the German guys, you know, it's A, they're all out there to, to win the race, but it's almost as important to be first German across the line. And <clears throat> I'd imagine to a degree it's the same for Americans, you know, being first American across the line is important. So um, other than obviously getting a decent paycheck for, for second place, um, what else is, uh, how has life changed since then? Well, certainly, you know, I mean, that's one aspect of it. the financial side. There's no doubt that that, that changes and it's an improvement. Um, you know, I had, had sponsors. I mostly stayed with the same sponsors. I brought some new ones on board. Um, existing sponsors stepped up their game, which is great, you know, and, uh, you know, rewarded me for performing there. And, and then obviously bringing on um, some new ones, including, you know, the Bahrain Endurance Team, which I'm out in, actually out in Bahrain right now. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Island House, which is, uh, you know, a team that, that Mark Holowesco sponsored out of the Bahamas. And, yeah, a few great, great new companies, Night, Night Composites for Wheels, and um, that stuff's been really awesome, of course. Um, in addition to that, yeah, being being top American, you know, um, through that year was, was really awesome, and I still consider myself, you know, one of the top American contenders. I think everyone's sort of, you know, <laughs> licking their chops and waiting for the next American to win, and unfortunately, we've got a, a really strong squad of guys, probably the strongest we've had in, you know, a while, um, where we have multiple contenders with... Andy Potts, myself, and, and Tim O'Donnell. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a great time, you know, to be in that position as a, as a top American where you have, you know, a country really behind you, you know, where, where the, the sport was really born and raised and, 
you know, you have a lot of the, the companies that are obviously sponsors in the sport that are U.S.-based. So, yeah, it's, it's incredibly important and, and exciting to be part of that effort to win one again since it's been, I think, since 2002 that Tim DeBoom last won. So, yeah. You said, you know, lots of good, a little bit of bad. What would have been some of the, the things that aren't so good about that result? Like, is there any? Well, certainly. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, hate to, I hesitate to, to call it absolutely bad, but I guess the difference is, you know, there's more demand on your time and, and energy. And at the end of the day, I think as, as professional triathletes, at least for myself, I can say my ultimate goal is to have top performances, you know, and then, you know, I'd like to win world titles and, and be able to lock that away and have it be part of my legacy. Um, and then, you know, secondarily, and, and certainly really, really important is, you know, representing these sponsors and people that, that support you. Um, and that means that, you know, when you do have a result like that, that of course there's more demand on your time and that meant a lot more travel and, you know, some, I, I wouldn't call them distractions necessarily, but it does, you know, it's, it's a line that you have to walk and something you have to learn, I think, about balancing that um, and figuring out a way that you can continue doing the things that made you successful and also, you know, to capitalize on that, that moment in the, in the sun and, and really help those people that are supporting you too. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly, you know, something that's been different, I guess I'd say. And um, in some ways, you know, has made, made some of the training and other things a little bit more difficult, but just a learning process and nothing that I can't, uh, can't get better at just like swimming. Doing, doing bloody interviews. Oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> and um, so going into 2015, surely it must have been uh, a bit different. You know, the, the year before, you'd had some Ironman wins. You know, a lot of people knew your name, but they probably wouldn't have had you on the radar for um, being in the top on, on, on the podium. Um, you know, what, how are you feeling physically going into 2015? And, um, and you, you talked about the extra you know, um, outside distractions, but were you still pretty confident going into the race and was your form in the right place? Yeah, I was, you know, and, and I think I, I think I did the, the proper training I needed to do to be there. And, and ultimately what it came down to for me in Kona this year, I think was just, you know, a, a nutritional sort of, you know, faux pas or a mess up where I had a, you know, a bit of a, a mess up on my nutrition more, you know, more so on the, on the back end of the bike and beginning of the run. I mean, my muscles felt good. I think I put myself actually in a pretty ideal spot for me in the way that I race. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I was definitely, I think I came off the bike maybe in, yeah, around seventh place and I'd ran my way, or seventh or eighth and ran my way into fifth about a mile 11. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, you know, when I was, I guess when I started to really be struck with the stomach woes, um, you know, I think I was, uh, you know, moving into a, in a, into a good spot and I felt like my muscles felt good. And unfortunately, even when I was able to run and get moving again after toilet breaks, um, you know, my muscles still felt good. So I do think that I, I prepared well. Um, I would say, I would say um, that I can be honest with myself and everyone else that my mental state was probably not quite as relaxed and, you know, um, easygoing as the prior year. Um, and some of that was certainly based on, I think more actually on, on pressure that I put on myself, you know, the expectation from myself had risen. I'm sure it had risen from other people as well. Um, you know, I think when you finish on a podium, people consider you more of a threat. Mm-hmm. And I think that was definitely part of the case too. And, uh, you know, p- potentially I didn't handle that part of it as well as I could have, but physically, no, I think I, you know, I executed good training and, and really was executing my plan pretty well in the race. I think there was a moment when I was leading on the way up to Javi and, People probably thought that was some sort of attack, but, 
you know, I looked back at my power file and everything else afterwards and really, um, you know, I was riding less, you know, less watts than I was the year before. And I, and actually I liked the way that played out because I was able to ride my own race, you know, for that portion of it when everybody else was surging and, uh, and sitting in the group. So <clears throat> I wouldn't have changed that about it. I don't think it affected my race negatively. Um, it was really just kind of execution on the nutrition side and, and, uh, yeah, that, that was the, the name of the game for me on that day and it didn't, didn't go right. So back to the drawing board. It was interesting. That was actually my next question because it was an absolute flyer that you took off the front. Well, it appeared yeah, yeah. from the coverage that you were taking an absolute flyer off the front. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, interesting that it wasn't necessarily the case. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And the way that played out actually was that I was riding in the top three or four guys, and um, I think it might have been Andy Bosher that went around Jan Ferdano, and there was kind of a little bit of a, you know, I think Jan threw up his arm kind of like, hey, you know, he just kind of, <laughs> came right in front of me or whatever it was and at that moment I realized I was closing in on the two of them so I had to move left make the pass and when I did that I think they were all kind of you know still trying to sort out whatever had happened there and I was like well I'm, I have to go now you know I have to pass and uh, did that look back you know a couple hundred meters later I looked back and I had a gap and I was like well I'm just gonna sit on my power that I want to ride up here and that gap steadily opened. And uh, I don't know what they were doing back there, but, you know, I was able to, like I said, settle into what I wanted to ride. And, and for whatever reason, in that moment, it, it seemed to open a gap. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I look back at, I compared the power files of the two years, and I was actually riding, you know, about 10 watts less up to Javi than I did the year before. So You talk about how this year, you know, you kind of own internal pressure you put on yourself, and maybe you think that, that worked against you. How do you evolve to the point where, you know, go back next year where you can be in more a calmer place where you can deliver without that pressure? Well, I mean, that's that's a great question. And, uh, you know, that's something that I think I'm still figuring out. I mean, there's lessons to be learned, you know, every at every turn. And I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, the people that I surround myself with. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have, to, to have an incredible support crew, you know, between my fiance and my, my parents who are out there, my you know sister and her husband, my massage therapist. I mean, I had a, a great crew of people that I, that I keep close to me and that I trust in. And, and uh, you know, I think that's a big part of it, you know, keeping that intact. And, um, and then I think a lot of it is actually just, you know, just being calm myself and sort of, and having maybe, you know, this is not something that I normally feel like I have an issue with, but, you know, believing in the training that I've done. I think maybe when you get close like I did, um, you have a tendency to think that maybe you need to change some things to get that last spot. And I did change a few things, but I think I was fairly smart about not changing too much. But every time you change something, you you know, I think there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of self-doubt that's involved. You know, you second guess it and wonder if it was the right thing, and you don't know until you try on the day. But looking back, really, I mean, I feel like interestingly enough that when I got second place, there was almost a feeling of like shock to myself where I was like, wow, you know, I just went from 15th to second. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, do I, do I belong here? Like, do, do I really belong at second already? You know, it was a, it was a massive step forward. And, um, and I think that from this race this year, even though it didn't go well in the end, considering that I was executing well, you know, for the majority of the race, really, I mean, almost halfway through the run, I was in the spot that I wanted to be that it gave me confidence that, you know, I can go out there, I think, for the rest of my career, most likely, and be, you know, in the mix. That's that's what I walked away thinking. As much as I was massively disappointed, I thought, you know, I know how to train to be out of the water in the front group, to ride in that group, 
to be in that select group of guys and the top 10 guys off the bike and then to run solidly. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that I don't need to improve every single year and the game might change some, but yeah, like I said, interestingly enough, I feel more confidence in some ways from this year's race than, than I do from the previous year. So you're in a bit of a shitty situation now in terms of uh, qualifi- <laughs> qualification because you haven't got well you got, you probably got a few points from Kona but I wouldn't imagine it's a it's a great deal. Um, whereas when we spoke to Brent McMahon, you know, he was he's had a, a, a whatever it was an eighth or ninth and then he's locked it in with sort of doing Arizona. So do you like the qualifying procedure um, and how are you going to sort of uh, get your ticket booked for next year? Yeah, that's a wow. That's a that's a also a, a great question. Oh, we're, we're um, and I don't, we're, I don't think it's yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you guys, what I'm it. saying is, you guys are brilliant. brilliant <laughs> thank you, men. thank you. Um, I'll, I'll but, forgive yeah. the swimming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, I uh, I, you know, I don't have an easy answer to that. I think sport. I think it's okay to have a qualifying you know standard that that um, that gets the best men to the line. What I'm concerned about is about what condition they get to the line in and what that means for the racing itself on the day. And I think there's some shortcomings there. I think mm-hmm. that people get over-raced um, and tired and, and maybe you know are forced into their best performances just in order to achieve qualification. And it's not an easy answer because I, I can't tell you right now what the solution would be, but that, that is certainly something that I feel and, and see happen on an annual basis now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as myself goes, um, you know, I'll just do my job. I'll get out there. I'll train really hard. And I'll have I'll have a you know a good Ironman and some good half Ironmans because I think I actually race pretty well across the half distance as well. And uh, you know if I do that, I should be there. I would plan to do a, an Ironman in the year before Hawaii anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know there'll be a little bit more pressure on it in some ways. Um, but you know in other ways, I think it's just another just another race and just another day, and you've uh, got to get out there and execute. And then when I do that, you know it should be enough to get me there. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, it definitely does put a little bit more pressure on me and it is a little bit shittier situation than, than the year before. Mm. Um, but certainly nothing that I, you know, that I can't handle. And, and I, and I, again, I mean, I'll need to, I'll need to race well and, and that'll prove that I belong to, you know, belong there. But, um, yeah, hopefully it's not a situation where I find myself chasing. Cause I think that's when you, you know, you tend to find guys that are, a little bit over raced and tired and, and don't you don't get the best performance out of them leading into the race or, or in Hawaii rather on a personal level you know like you you live in a very selfish sport when you're doing Ironman anyway and then when you become this high level pro you know I imagine a lot of the tension is about people wanting what you think of the world if you know what I mean and, and how do you balance the the whole giving back to the the intimate people in your life and making sure that it isn't just always about you that's not a good question, Bevan. That's a great question. I'm sure he's going to. I'm sure he's going to. I'm sure he's going to confirm that. Yeah, no, it's a. It is a very, very tough line to walk, and I'm very aware that uh, that it is a selfish sport, and that it requires a lot of my mental energy and, and obviously physical energy as well, um, and that that leaves limited amounts sometimes for the other people in my life. And I'm very fortunate to have a, a fiance that understands that and is very a very big part of my success, um, but. You know, I try to try to include her as much as possible, and I think she enjoys the lifestyle too. You know, right now she's here with me in Bahrain, and um, you know, it's a you know, it's another experience that we're having together, which is great. But yeah, you know, I always want to do better, and I guess maybe it's um, maybe a bit of a you know <laughs> a justification or uh, you know trying to put it off, procrastinate about it. But I know that I can't do this 
this job forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know that I will be in a different spot in my life in eight years from now. And most likely that will that'll be a place where I hopefully have a family and, you know, more time and energy away from this, you know, kind of crazy pers- pursuit of racing at a professional level. And, uh, you know, I'm, and I guess that's, uh, it's an uncertain future and, and, you know, it's tough to, to go there, but it's, uh, it's part of the plan as well that, that I won't always be doing this. So like I said, it's more, it more comes down not to me actually, but to people around me being extremely understanding and, and forgiving in some ways. And, and also being able to look at it as a real positive, like I said, you know, I mean, Kelsey's very good at that where she sees this as an opportunity rather than a detriment. I'm sure she would have been uh, enjoying her time at the Island House um, when you guys were over there. I'm just keen to hear, <laughs> hear, hear a little bit about that race because and how it sort of came about and what their objectives are in terms of getting involved in the sport because that format looked absolutely brilliant. I love it. Um, but what, what, tell us a bit about the Island House, um, what they're trying to achieve and a little bit about that race. Yeah, so the, the background on that is that we for the last several years have been going down and racing in the Bahamas, kind of a season ender type race. And, um, it's been partly supported by Mark Holowesco, who, um, you know, is an, an investment guy that lives down in the Bahamas. And, you know, he decided to step the game up a little bit this year, obviously, um, actually quite a bit and wanted to put on sort of his own race and really take charge of it and, and create something special, um, and contribute to the sport in a big way. And fortunately I was part of the team, of sponsored athletes, you know, through the house. And obviously then, of course, as a result, invited to the race on the island. But um, it's it's a it was an incredible, you're absolutely right, it's an incredible race. I mean, I, I am not a short course guy, and I don't have that background like some of these guys do, but I was blown away by the race and and really the execution of it for a first-year race, too, and, and the logistics that went into it. I mean, we're talking a three-mile-long island in the middle of nowhere in the Bahamas, and we're out there racing on it, you know, and it's got... <laughs> very limited roads and, um, you know, it actually has pretty good infrastructure for, for being a small island like that. But yeah, it was a, it was a wild experience and I had a ton of fun with it. I mean, you know, it was a different style of racing, but one that I was super engaged in. I thought it kept you, you know, on your toes and excited and you were guessing. I mean, obviously I, we all had a feeling the short course guys would kind of take it to us. Um, you know, the, the way it was set up, it was very much geared towards them, I think, in their skill set. But you know, that said, I mean, it was the things were changing around until the final day on both sides, the men and women. So it was exciting racing, high intensity, um, and everything went off really well. So I was 100% stoked, and I hope, you know, everyone else on the outside was. I know everyone there was. But as far as a vision for the sport, you know, I can't I can't speak 100% for Mark. But I know that he, you know, is we're building um, sort of a television aspect of this. And there will be, you know, a, a broadcast later on. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, he, he, as much as it might seem like an exclusive thing, you know, I think he really is trying to grow awareness of the sport and he's trying to make this more professionals for the professionals. I mean, that opportunity was tremendous, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as a financial thing for everybody. And, um, and then of course the exposure that, that, um, we will get and that he will get from the broadcast as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's multifaceted, but I know, I think it's a real positive (laughs) for the sport to see any, anytime we get somebody who has this kind of interest in the sport you know, and that's willing to put true backing behind it. Um, it's exciting and, and really good for everyone. Yeah. Last question we've got, uh, you probably get to ask this a bit, but do you do you enjoy trading off your surname or, or do you trade off the surname with the Hoff? Uh, I absolutely enjoy the name, yeah, it's great. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's part of that's definitely part of my brand. I mean, you know, I, 
there's a lot of people out there that, that know me as, as Hoff or the Hoff and, uh, you know, that just call me strictly by that. So no, I fully embrace it. And, uh, you know, I'm aware that there's another guy out there, you know, I don't know much about him. He's kind of a chump, I think, but he's trying to steal the name, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it's great. It's good fun. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy being called the Hoff. So keep awesome. it going. Uh, and, uh, we'll look forward to seeing your result from the Bahrain 70.3. And, uh, unfortunately, no million dollar prize, prize dollar, prize purse for you, but, um, we'll see what Daniela Reef can do. <laughs> it's her shout if she gets it, eh? It's, it's a big shout. Yeah, no, it's funny. We're, uh, you know, she's been here for a while and we're all kind of, we're all, we've all been talking and saying, like, what we can do to sort of help, you know, protect her as she does this training, you know, because we all want, uh, we want to, all want to see her have that success. And she's had an incredible year and is a, is obviously a, a highly deserving athlete of that, you know, and it's a unique spot to be in, of course, you know, it's mm. never been anything quite like it before that I'm aware of. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all excited to watch it go down. And I think, uh, from my, the training that I've seen that she's doing, <laughs> there's really no question that she's taking it a hundred percent seriously and will be in top form for the race. So it, uh, it should be, should be pretty cool to watch. And, uh, yeah, as far as my own race goes, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can on the day. It should be it should be a good one. It's uh it's a unique environment out here. It could be windy and and kind of cool actually, but but it'll be I'll give everything I have on the day. Whatever's in there, I'll get it out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. We know it's getting a little bit late in the night there for you, so um, you really we appreciate look, your time, mate. Appreciate your time, and we look forward to seeing you kicking some butt in uh, Kona next year. Absolutely, John Devin. Thanks, man. Appreciate thanks, man. Awesome. it. Okay, John Bo, we're back. What do you think about that? It's all good. No, I think he's, um, again, he was one of those guys that, yeah, he's a bit like Luke McKenzie. You know, we had him smoking at the weekend. Um, when he's on his game, he's going to be a contender in Kona. He's, all, these guys like him and Luke McKenzie, they're always going to struggle to beat someone like Fredino or Keenlay if they're having one of those days when they're on fire. But they can always be competitive, like like the Freddie Van Leards and things like that. If, uh, if those rock stars are just slightly off their game, you know, he's, he's shown he's got the goods to to potentially win Kona if um, some of the rock stars don't file, so, fire. So I love the bit, I love the bit in the interview where he was talking about where he was in second place and everybody was kind of giving him ideas and his coach just said, trust yourself. I thought that was a really powerful moment and, and shows a lot of wisdom from his coach. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty Look cool out for him getting back on the uh, podium next year in Kona. Okay, Jombo sponsor. So at the weekend, a big part of the show today was uh, the Bahrain 70.3 that the previous year wasn't the same, but it was uh, we had Challenge Bahrain, which didn't end up happening this year. So there's another reason to get on on Athlinks is, you know, if the Challenge Bahrain website goes down, it's still up at the moment, but it's uh, if, if they just go flag it, we're not even going to bother with that race anymore. The results will be gone and done and dusted. Uh, but if you make sure that you get all your results up on Athlinks, They'll be there for good. So when we had Challenge Bahrain last year, we had Michael Raylert take it out. Jeff Simons, who's on Athletics, got in seventh place. But I was scrolling down and I saw good old, uh, where is he, where is he? Rory Spicer, I know he listens to the show. They're in 49th place. And uh, Kenneth Henney in 62nd place. Andrew Edwards, 68th. Simon Marshall, 73. So all these guys are going to make sure that their day in the sun is going to be remembered even if the event uh, potentially falls over and uh, if they don't have it further down the track, they'll still have their results. So make sure you keep claiming them all, getting them all up on Athlinks. Uh, they, don't, they don't get them up within two seconds straight away, but if you submit them, um, they will get up there and then it's up there for good. Well, that's what's really interesting is that, you know, like 
right now race might not seem like it's going to go away but you think of all the races that were around 10 years ago in your local community how mm. many of them still exist now and mm. you know do they have did their website survive well, probably not and so all of that history of your past has disappeared whereas if you got into that habit of going onto athlinks you'd be able to sit back and go ha ha i'm the only one who has the results yeah exactly so check it out athlinks.com okay jumbo patrons there's two patrons Patrons, who we got down here? We've got uh, Tainan Narawaski. Tainan, let's see if I can get that. Narawaski. That's the a barbarian. Yeah, I've got Adam Himes, and he's the Nightwing. Rebecca Bullseye Spears. That's gold. I love that one. <laughs> uh, Mark Abbey, uh, Fer- Fernando. Fernando? I wonder what that and, one means. Oh, I wonder why we did that. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know, because you've got Abbey there. It looks a little bit like Abba. Oh, yes, Fernando. of course. Yep, yep, nice work. And Marion creaming the moose hearing. Let's not even go there, John. Let's not <laughs> even go there. Okay, Jonbo, so what's your gossip? The sponsors are... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And once again, if you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. Go to the page where it gets all of that community stuff and you could be supporting the show and you may be coming to Kona with the boys next year. When are we going to draw that, John? We're going to draw it during our 10-year anniversary in April. Okay, so you've got a few months to get in before that one, guys. Anyway, Don, what's your goss? Uh, what's my goss? Is exams done, dusted. This time next week, I'll probably be pulling up the car in Kaiteri, ready for holidays. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Outside of that... How long are you uh, going there for? Sorry? How long are you going there for? Two and a half weeks. Oh, nice. It's going to be a good break. What does Outside your day of, entail of when, when you're there? Uh, get up, go for a bike ride, nice and early, get back... Take the kids for a walk down to the swings, get the newspaper, walk back up to the house, fart around, go down to the beach, come up for lunch, and then probably go to go back down to the beach or go for a walk or something like that. Come do back you, up. Do you read lots of books? Bed. We're trying to this time. I'm going to set myself up so I can have a proper holiday. I haven't had one for a while, so mm. it's going to be good. Good. If, what's happening in your world? Do you know what I'm doing this week, Jumbo? Uh, you're going for lots of runs. I've, I have been running. I actually, I did a run the other week. I did a run on Saturday, John. And I know four minute Ks isn't that fast, but I I sit on four minute Ks for sixteen Ks, and uh, I haven't been running like even with any speed in the last period of time. It was just quite nice to get a bit of speed back into me. Good, you know, like I know four minute Ks aren't killing it, but it was just nice. It was just nice to be able to run properly. Killing it for a lot of people. I was killing it for Phil Patterson last night when I was running with him. Oh, really? In that case, come on, Phil, come for a run with me. <laughs> um, uh, just a couple of quick things before I go on. Uh, Legends, we're doing that this week, is it, John? Yes, so interviewed Fernanda Keller. Uh, this woman is impressive. Now, obviously, she's from Brazil, so obviously the, the language is sometimes a bit of a challenge, and we were doing it over the phone. But uh, when we did the inter- when we did the intro and, the, and so on, I'm just going to reiterate how much of a legend. Her athletic performances, impressive. Loads of top performances in Kona. Um, but what she's done outside of sort of the athletic world is, uh, is very, very impressive. So, so we're going to be releasing that on Monday, New Zealand time next week. So just look out for that and make sure you spread the word about that. Also, just on my other podcast on fitness behavior, I did an interview of Gordo. And it's not a triathlon kind of interview. It's more of a life interview. But got lots of good feedback about that. And I know you guys love listening to Gordo. So if you want to check that out, um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or just go to bevanjamesiles.com. Anyway, John, do you know what I'm doing this week? What? I'm going to go do um, the hot laps in the in the bloody V8s. Oh, Joe got you that for your birthday. Yeah, so for my birthday, Joe got me a present where basically uh, the big car racing series in Australasia is the V8s, and it's basically, you know, big cars. It's kind of like, it's not like NASCAR, but they look like NASCARs, don't they? 
Sort of, yeah. Yeah, and um, so basically what's going to happen is I'm going to go along and they, you do some training and then a proper driver takes you through and does like just blasts a few laps out and then you get to drive a few laps yourself. So I have to say I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I've done a few. I, I organised my duathlons out at the racetrack and uh, done a few sneaky little accelerations. But when you're in your own car, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 not the same. Someone was it's, telling me they get to like when you're when you're doing, it, you go up to like 230 along the straight. It's a long straight. Yeah, Is it really? Yeah, and and it's proper here. Not 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 a hairpin at the end, but it's a pretty pretty sharp corner at the end, so you can cock that up pretty 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 good. Oh, good good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> are you a bit of a are you a bit of a petrol here, John? No, no, but I would still love to do do that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely love to do it, but I, I would definitely not classify myself as a petrol head. Have you done your Christmas shopping? Yes, I have. Have you got Belinda's present? Yes. Oh, wow. Will she be surprised or does she know? She's got a sneaking suspicion. And is she right? Yes. Because, <laughs> uh, because I've, uh, I, I have to get... Uh, I've, I've I've pulled out a few really amazing presents, but I've also pulled out a few, so she kind of tells me what to get her. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Okay, well, let's wrap it up, Boo. I've got to go for uh, school interviews with the teachers now. Oh, teacher interview. Teacher. When you were a kid, what did the teacher say about you? He's amazing. <laughs> He's going to be a world champion athlete. <laughs> my, 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 guess what mine said? Talks too much. Talks too much and he doesn't hold his attention. Mm. Unbelievable, John. Unbelievable. Rightio, I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.